Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Teaching Matters. This program is produced and recorded in the studios of WOUB Public Media in Athens, Ohio. I'm your host, Scott Titsworth, Dean of the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. Educational technology is increasingly providing opportunities for students to immerse themselves in learning. Phrases like virtual reality, augmented reality, and gamification are increasingly seen as not just viable, but essential to providing deep learning experiences for students of all ages. These technologies are making their ways into both formal instruction and also informal instruction, such as in museums. My guests today are John Bowditch, Director of the Gaming Research and Immersive Design Lab, Eric Williams, an Associate Professor in the School of Media Arts and Studies, and Josh Antonuccio, a lecturer in the same school, all at Ohio University. And these three are the, are the principal architects of the Immersive Design Initiative at Ohio University, where they're tackling many of the these issues. Josh, John, and Eric, welcome to Teaching Matters. Thanks for having Thanks. us. You can verbalize your response. So <laughs> they can't see you, Donnie. Um, so so I, I want to delve into what some of the topics are that you all have been exploring uh, for the last uh, several years now. And maybe we can start, John, by you explaining what virtual and augmented reality is. I think we've all heard those terms, but what does it actually mean for a layperson, but then also sort of getting into some of the technology behind it? Sure. Yeah, the, the terms are often misused or confused for one another. And there's actually a third term that's kind of lumped together and all that, and that's mixed reality. So starting with virtual reality, because it's kind of the most, um, most expansive right now, it's essentially where you wear a heads-up display, a complete visor that closes off your visual senses to the surrounding world. And within that display, you get stereo images projected. So imagine you have two screens, one for each eye. Each one is slightly offset. And together, in combination, they create a three-dimensional image for you. Right? So that's um, complete visual surroundings. Now, whether that's completely digitally created, like using computer animation, game technology, or like one of the things we're working with is 360 video capture, and that's basically video captured in all directions, but played back in virtual reality, right? So imagine it's, a lot of people imagine it's just like a, a, a movie screen really close to your eyes. But the problem with that is movie screens are flat. Virtual reality is not flat. The, the best way of looking at it is imagine you're standing inside of a basketball and the entire interior of that basketball is having images projected on it. Um, it's, a, it's a full kind of global feeling um, being in virtual reality. And, and the same holds true with the audio provided with you. Um, usually you have three-dimensional or 360-degree audio provided um, with your virtual reality experience. And so it creates the illusion that you're really in a actual space, a real space. So um, sound plays the role of if there's a – if you hear something over your shoulder in reality, you'll generally turn and look at whatever caused that sound. Right? That's often lost in just like general filmmaking and, and gameplay. In, in a three-dimensional experience, if you actually hear a sound, the, the person should turn and look over their shoulder, and the visuals and the sound will actually track with it. Okay, so that's, that's virtual reality. Mm -hmm. Augmented reality, um, I believe it's going to be truly disruptive. Um, similar principle to virtual reality in that you, you have a, you have a head-mounted display, Right, so it rests over your eyes. Um, the, the main difference is it's not completely isolated from reality. You can see everything else around you. Um, so, like, for example, we're all sitting around a table right now. In augmented reality, I would be able to see all of you. But let's say that Eric was actually in Arizona right now and wasn't physically here. We could produce a hologram of Eric, and it would appear as if he's actually sitting in this chair. Right, that is augmented reality. I think he's been doing that for years. <laughs> That's right. You know, it's a, it's a great con he's running. Um, he's, he's doing it very successfully. Um, I mean, like, kind of the natural evolution of the smartphone is for you to wear it, right? It's, it's eventually going to get out of your pocket, and it's going to be somehow encompassed on your face, like through glasses, um, you know, potentially even through, like, a contact lens in, in a decade, um, like if you if you ever walk around campus, they are pretty much wearable devices now. Everyone just holds their phone out in front <laughs> yeah. of them, mm -hmm. right? So the natural evolution is that is, is to put that on your um, on your face and and just have it there, right? So um, you know, besides like the holographic projections you could have, imagine what that can do for navigation purposes um, or for just telecommunication purposes. Receiving a phone call through eyeglasses, receiving text messages. 
Um, the, there's, there's a lot of potential in this technology, um, you know, a lot of positive potential, but you can also imagine kind of the negative, overwhelming potential of this kind of technology. The truth of the matter, this technology is coming whether people are ready for it or not. Um, Facebook is operating in this mm -hmm. space. Google has been in this space now for half a decade. Um, I think once Apple enters this space, just given the popularity of the iPhone, that's truly be when it becomes a kind of a mainstream commodity device. Mm -hmm. Then the, the third area is called mixed reality. I, I personally don't like the term. Um, but it's, it's uh, imagine augmented reality with something physical that you can interact with. Okay, so um, right now, if, if Eric was sitting at this table in virtualized space, we would just kind of see him overlaid next to the table, kind of cut off at the chest. Um, if we walked around that table, we probably would not see him there. If we reached and touched at him, we would not feel Eric. Mixed reality adds the tactile sensation to augmented reality primarily. It could also be applied to virtual reality, but it's basically adding feeling. Mm -hmm. To that, to that experience. I, I think that's, that's much further down the road. There's a lot of research being done in that space now just because of, like, especially applications in the medical space are particularly attractive for mixed reality. Um, we, 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 we are currently working on mixed reality projects at this time in the, in the medical space. Um, we find those to be the most difficult just because there's not really any starting point for us to reference. There's not a mm -hmm. lot of research done in this space, so we're kind of having to make it up as we go. So with that in mind, the Immersive Media Initiative has been trying to uh, essentially help students learn how to create content. And so a big part of what you all have been doing is trying to learn through trial and error how to create content that fits this immersive media, whether it's virtual, augmented, or mixed reality space, how to create media that could be used for different purposes. It's been a big learning curve in some areas. Josh, maybe you could talk about how you've tried to lead students down the path of learning to create this type of content and some of the challenges that you've had to overcome. And I'm actually thinking about the audio component mm -hmm. um, that is really an essential part of this, but was uh, largely overlooked for a while by people who were creating in this space. Right. So I guess just as a starting point, uh, I was in Los Angeles last October for AES's first virtual and augmented reality audio conference. And George Sanger, who's running the audio research for a company called Magic Leap, which is a massive probably one of the kind of like most well-known of the augmented reality side. Google's been pumping about a billion dollars into them, yet they have no real product yet. But one of the hit points that he made and others made is that audio will play the largest com kind of component of importance within that space because um, it basically can direct you in terms of how you should be interacting with things in a virtual or even augmented reality space. So it's going to be even more important. One of the things that really stands out to me right now is the pace of technological change in terms of trying to get students up to speed. I mean, Google just had their I.O. conference, and some of the advances they have made in the last three years, when you look at kind of where we were, I mean, we started having conversations about this back in 2004, late 2014. Those advances have just been massive. So every year, every semester, as we're training students in terms of how you work and develop content, the distribution is changing, the hardware is changing, the platforms are changing, the production software is changing. So we really have to t teach students how to be malleable and kind of really be flux and be able to, to be okay with not having instant solutions. And a lot of trial and error, a lot of what is working, what's not. And then as soon as a software comes or a hardware solution is available, incorporating that as fast as possible into kind of your workflow and figuring out how to kind of get things um, completed through that. So for instance, like Big Ears had a software that was really popular, it was open source, and then Facebook bought that. And now that has become FB360, which is the go-to kind of starting point for audio development, for example. Um, so that's one thing, is just kind of tr t telling people that this space is moving very fast, it's changing very fast. I go to South by Southwest every year, and that becomes a barometer for me to see how quickly companies are kind of adapting to that. The other side of it is just preparing for a marketplace that is uncertain. Mixed reality, I mean, you look at what's, you know, initially, let's just take an augmented reality. When you look at what happened with Pokemon Go to start, and now Snapchat kind of leading that space in terms of their augmented reality filters. Um, it's People are trying to figure out how to adapt this quickly, and the marketplace is going to look uh, different from when they started school. I mean, I think about, like, my daughter starting college in the, in the fall. 
the marketplace when she leaves will be completely different than what it is right now. Especially when you start throwing things like artificial intelligence into the mix, it's just it's going to it's really unknown for everyone right now. Um, specifically for audio, it really is taken, and I think Eric could probably speak to video as well in this, is that there are some traditional principles you kind of deal with in terms of how you capture, how you deal with production, but a lot of the traditional rules are then thrown out. You know, there is no one screen you're looking at. There is no one fixed space. You know, with stereo audio, there are two speakers, you're in place, you have headphones, and you're kind of there. On the audio side, you're looking to, to recreate, as John said, a spherical, engaging, immersive atmosphere that tricks the brain thus through your ears in terms of how you are engaging with the space. So how you capture, how you reproduce, all those things change. And so that's the challenge is how you, again, you don't have set tools. Those are changing. So how do you kind of take the principles you know that incorporate as much hardware, as much changing software as fast as possible into that process? So it really sounds to me like a, a, a large aim that you have with your students is not to teach them a thing, but to teach them a thought process because that thing's going to change on a mm -hmm. rapid basis. Right. And then really teaching them about the kind of the cumulative process with that. All right, this is established and, and, and kind of trying to build on that as it, it, it comes along. I mean, the other thing I learned in LA is that all these companies, there is no, there is no set production pipeline. You know, like if you were to talk about traditional game or video development or film development, there's a process that's been laid out for a number of years already that everybody follows. This is completely different. People have their own workflows. They have their different tools. Um, I mean, you know, it was funny. Like we've, we've done tours in the in the IMI. We pull out gear that we shot our first film on, and it just looks ancient now. <laughs> you know, we were 3D printing the rigs for the GoPros. They were overheating. We were using, you know, really kind of early iterations of audio. I, it was just like, but like everyone else, we were making it up as we were going yeah, along. And, and ancient now, but state of the art 18 months ago. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Right. And I think that that is what is really interesting. Like, like take headsets right now. You look at last – so at Google I.O., the headsets that they're putting out right now, um, you don't need sensors. So like right now when we use an eight, uh, HTC Vive or an Oculus, you need sensors in the room. Theirs are wireless. Um, they are pass-throughs. So they're engaging with both augmented and virtual reality. And, and there is interior and exterior tracking that's involved. I mean that is a huge leap from what we have right now. And that's what's coming down the pike. And rumors from South by Southwest have it that Apple's augmented headsets will be here by the end of the year. Mm. So as John said, like that is going to be a total game changer. And you have you know four, two of the four largest tech companies that are throwing those in the marketplace. Not mm -hmm. to mention YouTube now having 360 video for uh, televisions. So it's all changing it's just so fast. Yeah. So Eric, we we've heard you know just already that the way that you're working with your students is incredibly powerful because they're really learning what it means to work in a, a technology environment that's ever-changing. But you've also, as a group, in addition to training your media students, you've also started to work on applications of this technology that would benefit students in other fields as well. It's become very interdisciplinary in the types of projects you've been working on. Can you talk about some of the applications that you all have been and when I say applications, not not like phone apps, but mm -hmm. uses, use case scenarios for this type of technology and some other fields for educational purposes. Yes, we uh, we've been working a lot in the healthcare region, uh, but also with education, and we're finding that 360 video in particular, but everything um, in the virtual reality space is kind of working on at least a couple different levels. One level that we're really exploring, especially for education, is this idea called pre-reality, pre-reality, where eventually these students, whether they're middle school students going to uh, an old town um, or whether they are medical students getting ready to go into the operating room, they are going to experience something in virtual reality that will prepare them for a real scenario that they might step into the next week or month from now. So for instance, can you take some middle school students that are getting ready to go and visit a blacksmith shop and put them into that blacksmith shop in pre-reality where they meet the blacksmith and the blacksmith says, be careful, that's hot over there. Everybody, when you first come, I'm going to see you guys tomorrow. Uh, come to this area. And by the way, here's a couple questions to think about. Somebody tell me what steel is. That's the first question I'm going to ask you tomorrow. Uh, I'm the blacksmith. I'll see, you, I'll see you on Monday. 
if students can get into that space and start to feel comfortable in that space, then when they show up, they're much more prepared to learn. It's not a new room. They don't have to kind of learn the safety um, from scratch. They, they've already been primed. Um, and they've already been thinking about these questions that the blacksmith is going to ask them first thing they walk in. Great, what's steel? We're, we're finding that that applies to younger students as well as medical students. Can you put a, create a pre-reality experience where medical residents are ready to walk into your operating room day one? They're, they're not caught in being overwhelmed by the new location, all the different people. They, they know, they've, they've seen, oh, these people will be in these positions. That's where the equipment is. Um, and that's one thing that we're really – I don't think we were expecting when we first started working in this in that space. One of the things that Josh alluded to that I think is really interesting um, is that the rules have to change when you're doing production work in virtual and augmented reality. So as someone who's worked in, in documentaries and films for, I think, all of your career, you've learned certain rules about how the cameras work, what happens in, in the scene that you're shooting, what happens behind the camera. And, you know, when you're filming 360 video, there's no behind the camera. And so how, how as, a, as a professor, how have you learned to tell your students, okay, these rules about video and videography still exist in certain environments, but then if you're doing work in this space, those rules are no longer relevant. I mean, how do you have that conversation with students? I think that's really fascinating. I found that there's three different layers. The first is you try to inform them and they'll sit and nod their heads in class. But the second layer is they have to experience it for themselves. I mean, you can tell them there is no behind the camera and they, they will nod and they will agree that that, yes, that is true. And then they will go and set up their first shot. They will put the camera down and they will not know where to stand <laughs> because <laughs> it just occurred to them, oh, I have to hide outside of the room or under the table. Um, and actually hide. Not yeah. just – if you have an arm sticking out, it's still going to be in frame. Right. When right. You, you have to hide well. And that goes for not only the director but that, that's your entire sound team. That That's your crew. Uh, that's the extra actors, the mm -hmm. – um, everything, all the equipment. I mean – so th the second part is, is them – literally, you just have to turn them loose and have them figure it out for themselves. And then you walk through the process afterwards. But the third thing that I find is even more difficult is we then have to train them to be advocates for themselves because not only is it new to us, but it's new to all the environments we're going into. So we went to cover um, – the, on the Clinton campaign, Hillary Clinton came and gave a speech and we got press passes and we were going to go and we were going to cover it in 360 and we were going to plant the camera so that if you looked one direction, you could see the speech, but you could also turn the other direction and see the audience. And the, um, the security people put us in the back with all the camera guys because that's where the cameras go. Well, all of a sudden we were surrounded by walls. And our 360 camera just turned into a regular 2D camera. And so we have to – we had to teach – Abby Doyle it was our graduate student for, in the public media program and she was determined to shoot. And so she had to go and advocate for herself that, no, look, this is, this is new technology. Uh, so then they have to start educating other people. Mm -hmm. um, and it's really all three of those in combination. Yeah, and again, like at South by Southwest this year, I, this was the first year I noticed that they were doing VR shoots for this for every session. So the cameras were in the back for normal, but then you would see Go, Hero, GoPro Hero rigs right in the front with the ambisonic audio there as well. Josh, um, it sounds to me, and, and all of you have mentioned this, that the technology is changing very rapidly. As a faculty member, you know, you have to stay with that curve, how do you find time to do that? And how, how do you become prepared to teach your students given that the technology and the infrastructure, the software, all that stuff is changing so rapidly? Yeah, I mean, I think it's like anything. I mean, you just, you have to read, you have to stay up on all the sources of news and technology that are coming out with announcements, read about what other teams are doing. Um, Go to conferences where people are actually experienced with this technology. Uh, in the education field, I mean, that is where – when I talk to educators now, I, I really believe – and even in our initial conversations about the IMI, this is one space – and I will throw healthcare in there as well – where this is going to be a completely transformative thing. I mean, you think about K-12 through education when 
you can put somebody into a classroom and give them the, the ability to put students in different locations, go to different points in history, and actually experience those things and have, you know, one, one term that has come up quite a bit with VR teams is this idea that VR is an empathy machine. That is, you can create these experiences that connect you emotionally, viscerally with these locations. Think about how that transforms something like history education or, as Eric mentioned, with healthcare. Like, it has an impact. You feel like you're there. Um, so, you know, I guess the other side of it is I genuinely find I'm enthralled and excited about it because we're truly on the cutting edge of what's changing globally in terms of how we're going to begin approaching things like education, healthcare, journalism, storytelling. You know, as I've shared with, with other people, like going to a session where the United Nations has people shooting VR so you can take diplomats somewhere and empathetically connect them with experiences that other citizens are having. It, it, it's a game changer in terms of how we communicate. And I'll add on to that, too. I had the great opportunity to co-teach with Josh last summer, and I don't even know if he realizes this, but one of the ways that he teaches is he assigns his students to give weekly updates on what they're finding out. Hmm. Um, I don't, I've never done that in any of my classes. I thought that was just a brilliant way to – now you've got 20 people doing research every week. I mean they're, they're learning because we're giving them assignments, but then they're also bringing in new stuff. And every week, Josh would just say, great, what have you learned? And we'd start writing it up on the board and they'd start talking about it. And we were learning right alongside with the students. And, and just to be clear, my, my assumption and the way you just described that is, and Josh, that, that the assignment was for them to go out and explore the articles that are talking about here's what's coming. Is, is that accurate? Yeah. And then we, you know, in the in the rooms that we have over in scripts, the walls are painted in such a way that you can, uh, you know, the surface that you can actually do marker, you mm -hmm. know writing on it. So yeah, so like we would just visually have people write out what they were learning. We would just so we can always kind of have different minds bringing things to the table in terms of articles and research. But they were coming up with things that we weren't even assigning them because they had projects that were due. And in their projects, they were just naturally following different ideas. So mm -hmm. oh, we're, we're running into this audio problem. So two or three of them may be coming at it with oh, this is the audio research mm -hmm. we did. But another team might have been working on location issues. Yeah, like with my pace and my student employees right now, I, I make all of them join this FB360 Facebook group because it's one of the best sources of information. It's, it's about 2,000 people that have joined this and it's, it, it's just become a feeder for everyone that's, again, kind of spitballing, trying different workflows and what's working and what's mm -hmm. not. But just one other note, I, I encourage all my students to research this because I really don't think that many students understand the tidal wave of change that we are in the midst of right now and that it's going to be hitting us the next... Yeah. year to decade. I mean, it is absolutely staggering. I have trouble wrapping my head around it. Yeah, it's truly exponential. I mean, one of, one of the things you have to kind of ground yourself and reflect on is take something as transformative as the iPhone, right? It, Apple's iPhone or Google's Android devices. The iPhone will turn 10 this summer. Um, it, it would be, what, a fourth grader if it were a human um, it's not old it, enough to drive yet. Not old enough to drive yet. <laughs> uh, but, but probably in the next five, year, five years, it's going to play a part in driving you in your car, right? Um, it, it, there's two billion people that have devices like this now. I mean, Bill Gates was famous, uh, famously said in the late 90s that he envisioned everyone having a desktop computer in their home. Um, he wasn't necessarily wrong. He just didn't envision that those desktop computers were going to be in their pockets. Right. But to, to piggyback off of that, so you look at what Facebook's strategy is right now, their thing is to peel off computing even from the smartphone and get smartphone and get rid of that and throw it into space mm -hmm. holographically right. through, through AR. Yeah. And so, you know, when you talk about social media, everyone, you know, one of the conversations about VR is, is it going to isolate us more? Their whole thing is it's going to connect us more. You're going to bring people together from all over the globe holographically in one space and feel like it's a social experience. That's right. Yeah. So, I mean, your question, like, how do you keep up with it? I, I don't believe anyone that says they can Right? I mean, you kind of have to pick and choose what you're going to focus on and, and really just own it. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, we, we did start this initiative in, in late 2014. and early 2015, the Scripps College, through the dean's office, gave us funding to buy five, at the time, Oculus Rift development kit twos. Um, so that, that was a little over two years ago. They have been mothballed for the last six months because they are obsolete. That makes me feel really good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean but, but, but just think about the problems with that, mm -hmm. right? So, I mean, something that is two years old in tech now 
and it's now considered obsolete, that's a scary thought. That exponential growth or acceleration of that technology is not going to slow. Mm-hmm. It's only going to increase. Um, and and so, so part of the challenge with working with students is you have to get them comfortable thinking that way. I mean, if, if the iPhone is 10 years old and look how disruptive of a technology that's been, what is it going to look like in another 10 years? Right? It's not going to be an equal amount of growth in that next 10 years. It's going to be exponential. Right? So you might have 100 years worth of, of advancement in the iPhone over the next 10. Mm-hmm. Right? And then 10 years after that, it could be the equivalent of an, an extra 500 years. Mm-hmm. Right? So you have to kind of look at this as a growing exponential curve. And, and there's an important point that you made earlier about it disrupting things. So sticking with the iPhone and smartphones, for example – it, all the listeners listening to this can think about how the advent of the smartphone and the ways that you can use the smartphone, think about how that impacted our mm. use of voice telephony. Sure. I mean, who really makes phone calls on their iPhone all that often anymore? That's right. Yeah, the you know? phone aspect of it is almost like the least yeah. commonly used package. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And, and especially <laughs> especially for the younger students. I mean, that's that, right. you know, so so that's what really disruption means. I want to switch gears just for a second, and any of you can feel free to jump in. But, you know, so so far, we've. I, I hope that listeners have come to an understanding that when we're talking about virtual augmented mixed reality, that this could take the form of 360 video, which would look very much like what you would see on television, but in a 360 environment, you know, where it would be a representation of a real world. It could also look more like a video game where mm-hmm. it would be a virtual environment that is is more of a, you know, artistically created rather than it being a representation of reality. Many applications for, for those ranging from medicine to some of the other uh, examples we've talked about, like um, a, a sort of a museum type experience. What about um, – and we, you briefly touched on this, John, but I want to delve into this more. What if we start to marry the concept of gamification to this? And what I mean by that um, is, is both the, you know, the process of playing a game where you're rewarded for doing certain things, but I think more importantly, your ability to interact with the narrative that is in front of you. So as this technology starts to develop, I can only assume – that this ability to interact with the media that you're experiencing will continue to grow and grow. It's already there, mm-hmm. but but it's going to grow more. How, how do you see that evolving? And how do you see that playing a role in you know a teacher and a student's experience in trying to learn something? Yeah, I mean, so the evolution part, let, let's start with that. So right now, when you think about a film, just a traditional film that you'd either see on a television or in a movie theater, it's flat. Um, we, we call it fish tank VR, where you can kind of, like, it, it might appear to have some depth to it, but all you can do is tap on the screen and, and, and that's it. You can't actually go into it. Um, I, I truly envision um, video really transforming in the next five years in that it's not only going to capture visual information when you record, but it's also going to capture depth information. There's actually some technology out there now called light field camera technology that does this, does that. So it's, it's a bunch of laser sensors that record how far away something is, but then also the visual information. So if you have enough, if you have enough angles of all of this captured, you can then basically recreate a holodeck type space and walk around within the film. Right? So d- just imagine now what that does for storytelling in general, journalism, Right? And so instead of just being presented with, uh, uh, let's, let's say, a, a, a war, some war footage in the Middle East, you actually being able to walk around in that war setting in the Middle East. Um, right? So once these all start coming out as something that we are consuming, imagine applying that now to education. Okay? So right now, like if you wanted to learn about the planet Mars, you – would read textbooks on it. You might find magazine articles on it. You might find documentaries on it. But really, the the way you're consuming it hasn't changed all that much in the last 30, 40 years, right? Now, imagine yourself, if you have all of this information and you're in a virtual setting where you're actually walking around, you're, you're, you're seeing Mars from a, a perspective that you couldn't imagine before. Mm-hmm. Um, you may be walking around with classmates in that setting. Um, 
you might be interacting with your classmates in that setting, talking to them, discussing something, you know, I don't know, describing like the rock formations that I you see. I actually went through that experience. Like that. The University yeah. of Texas developed a expedition to Mars. Hmm. And so you could go through and the eye tracking technology, look at something, and then it would give you a pop-up in information. So you're actually exploring the planet yeah. versus just reading about right. it. So like it, it's really going to transform the way that we learn. Um, it's it's going to be so much more informative. Right, to give you an example of how we're already kind of applying this, this past spring we had a new student group form on campus here called the Ohio University Immersive Media Association. Eric is actually the faculty advisor for this group. They, they established a relationship with the Columbus, Ohio um, Zoo and Aquarium. And, and th- their main objective was you can go up to the Columbus Zoo now and you can see all of these great exhibits, but kind of in that fish tank VR perspective from behind glass you can, you can see them in a the distance, but you don't really get to see what they look like up front or interact with them up front. Um, so they had the opportunity to take some of our 360 cameras, camera systems and immer- uh, submerge them with the manatees at Columbus and also in the shark tank. And so now you're, you're in this experience where you're basically – imagine you're scuba diving with manatees and they're just swarming all around you. And it's a completely unique experience that not even people – visiting the Columbus Zoo get. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so much opportunity in this space. It, it, it's really what keeps us going day to day and keeps us excited about this day to day. And then even with augmented reality, look at like what Case Western is doing with like human anatomy, being able to take a body and separate all the systems out in free space and examine it and look at it or Caterpillar company, you know, construction company looking at how you do workplace training where you can actually pull parts out in space and look at it and do training in a virtual space without any of the consequences of the real world. I mean, it really has the potential to reshape and is reshaping all these. Yeah. And it does that in in a couple different ways too, right? So not only is it safe, right? You can handle these high voltage electric units um, in a VR environment completely safely. Um, which you could also do in a simulated environment, but you would physically have to be there. If you can take something that is dangerous and expensive or difficult to replicate and by making it virtual, increase the safety, but also reduce all the barriers as far as distribution, then you can have an online nursing program where the, the nursing students can go through the simulations no matter where they are in the world. Mm-hmm. You can train people around the world with what might currently take a $200,000 mannequin, but now it's going to be you dial it up on your phone and you can manipulate it through mixed reality on the other side of the planet. Mm-hmm. So, so um, this is an interesting discussion and, and a little bit of background if it's not already clear. Um, Eric, your background is in videography and directing and screenwriting. Correct. And Josh, your background is in audio, and you actually produce uh, records and, and, and music and things like that. So both of you, in, in your artistic backgrounds, are, are very experienced and very successful at creating um, art that is consumed by an audience. And the virtual and augmented reality that I've experienced right now is a very isolating uh, technology. In other words, I, I put on the headset, I put on the earmuffs, and I'm sort of in my own little world. And it's funny to watch people when they're doing that because you can tell they're sort of in their own world by themselves. So you've been talking about the collaboration potential for this, but yet right now the technology seems somewhat isolating. Where do you, how, how's that going to evolve so that we can have that group collaboration using virtual and augmented reality even though the people are wearing these headsets and stuff like that that sort of isolates them from the world that they're in? Yeah, I mean, I think it's like anything. I mean, on one level, it's still in development to that degree. I think it's going to be different in terms of how augmented and virtual reality will deal with those two realities. But on like on the like on the music industry side, in terms of like the shareability of these kinds of experiences, that is just blowing up. You take something communal like a concert, you know. So when we started having these discussions about VR and AR again, late 2014, early 2015, there was no investment on the the live music industry side. Since then, Live Nation, the largest U.S. concert promoter, has invested in their own company, NextVR, to shoot things like Bonnaroo, Austin City Limits, Coachella, has their own VR capture now that they then share. And so one of the big spaces where I see kind of community sharing outside the actual individual kind of like headset is to, is to actually like 
have an experience, be able to try to share it with as many more people beyond the kind of the walls of that specific experience. In terms of where AR is, that's, as I mentioned before, I mean, that's where really Facebook is going to try to make this more social so that through holographic technology, you can have avatars that you inhabit instead of just having a, a static Facebook page you can actually create an avatar to be in a space with someone that's you. And so what their whole idea is to kind of broad that out beyond just the static flat screen, the one page, and make actually make it a completely engaging experience. I, one of, I mean, John and I, when we first talked about kind of the education side, one of the first conversations we had was about Gettysburg, and that is we're both his, history buffs, buffs and the idea you could take a classroom and have, I mean, this is where I think we'd love to see the technology go, and I think educators would, that you could get to a point where you could walk a classroom through a battlefield, through a museum, through a space of significance within whatever field you're, you're learning about. Um, the technology is just not quite there yet, but I think that's where people want to see it go eventually. So you can have kind of shared communal experiences that are guided by somebody that's in there as well. And I think one of the first steps you're going to start to see is coordinated headgear so that you as the professor um, might be able to sit down and have a class of 10 or 12 people, each wearing their individual headsets, but they're all in the same place. They're all in the same museum. And you as the tour guide slash educator can see where everybody else is looking. And so you could say, hey, Eric, stop looking at your tennis shoes, look <laughs> up at the, at the painting, and, and we're talking about this, that, or the other thing. Um, but so each person would have their own autonomous experience, but you as the teacher would be able to to guide it, like Josh was saying. And I think once you get to walk around in it, um, mm -hmm. but even just visually with 360, I think you're going to start to see that this year. Um, the other thing, though, that's just kind of been creeping around in my head a little bit, maybe we can talk about this some other time. Um, I think a lot of people compare this to television or film where you are watching it communally. But I'd like to introduce the idea of thinking about VR storytelling or 360 storytelling um, more like literature, where you read a book by yourself. Nobody complains that, hey, not everybody's reading that same book. Mm -hmm. I, I, think, I think the storytelling right now, the storytellers are trying to mimic film. And I think that's not necessarily the best or only approach. I think that the approach of a literary, a literary approach mm -hmm. is going to be. Or even, or even experiences that are just solitary. So for instance, one of the case studies I just recently heard about was a group that was putting together VR experiences for people uh, in senior citizens' homes. And so what they would do is in the morning, they would put on a VR headset and walk through uh, Paris, or they would walk through some other city. And then when they would come back at lunch together, they would all share about their experiences like they'd been there. Oh, mm -hmm. I, I saw this. I learned this about this particular city. I had this particular experience. So while the experience itself was solitary or personal, it became a communal experience and it actually engaged them much more than just sitting down and watching a game show or watching something that was just like brainless. It was actually something where they felt very, again, there was an empathetic connection that they then wanted to go and share with others. Mm -hmm. Um, well, and, and you would assume that um, because, um, you know, from a, a director's point of view, you know, th there's not one scene that everyone's looking at. I mean, right. people are looking around. And so you as a director might think, oh, they should be looking at this character that's doing this by a desk. And in reality, they're looking at a painting on a wall on the other side of the room. And so there, there, there by definition, would be a multiplicity of narratives that would come out of that experience for each of the audience members. That's right. And what's interesting, I like that literary, that literature metaphor, because then, Josh, as you noted, people are going to talk about it and say, this is what the emotional experience was that I had, because mm -hmm. I looked at this thing and heard this over here while you were overdoing your own thing on the other side of the room. Mm -hmm. I think that's really fascinating. I mean, I saw the power of this early on when we had those Oculus Rift development kits, this uh, Generation 2 ones. I let my kids try out an experience where it was a really basic 360 video walkthrough of downtown Tokyo. And just, you know, this was like two years ago, just last month, my daughter was like, you know, I still have memories of being in Tokyo. Hmm. You know, like, and like, actually, like, I remember things that I learned about the city from being there. Totally unsolicited to me. I was just like, wow, that's really interesting. Like, it has that much power. Now, there's a whole other conversation on how, you know, when you are putting K through 12 students through this, like, how do you monitor what they experience? Because it can also 
along with educated, can traumatize if you go too far in the wrong mm-hmm. direction. So yeah, we 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 all got traumatized early on by playing this game called Alien Isolation. Oh <laughs> it's based off the Alien, you know, horror sci-fi yeah. films. Um, and uh, you know, for a while, none of us and none of our students could last more than like 10, 12 minutes in the experience <laughs> without just being like completely overwhelmed there, by it all. There are <laughs> VR horror games I can't even look at with the, with the headset out in space with no sound. It's, it's way too intense. <laughs> so, John, as part of the Immersive Media Initiative, you have uh, the three of you and others have worked on creating a curriculum around this. And from the get-go, the curriculum that you've been designing has been intended to be interdisciplinary. What I mean by that. I mean, listeners can tell this is a pretty advanced production, but you all have said we don't want just a bunch of media or journalist students. We want students from around campus that would be able to find their way into this curriculum. Why do you think that interdisciplinary perspective is so necessary with this technology? Yeah, I mean, we we truly want everyone to be thinking about this, not only as something that is going to be potentially impactful on their life, but we want them to think about it in a way that they can bring their own potential to it and help innovate in that space. I mean, one of one of the, the, the problems we run into, especially, I mean, we all teach in the school of media, is we tend to only think about solving problems within our collective area, right? So you want to tell this story, great, we'll tell it through a film or through a video game or through audio recording, whatever. And we never really think outside those, those areas, it, or it's, it's more or less difficult to do that. I think the most innovative and the most creative solutions come from a small group of people that are from completely different backgrounds, right? So if you, if you, if you present the same problem to a group, um, and that group was made up of all students that, that, the, that thought the same way, let's just say all film students, and then you had another group that was presented with the exact same problem, but you had one film student and you had one biologist and one business student and an educator um, and a medical student. You could imagine then the solution that comes from that group to be wildly more innovative, at least more creative. Even if it seems like very far left field, that's a really exciting place to be. When you have all of these people coming together that imagined something for the first time that maybe that maybe seems like a far-fetched idea to some people, that's where innovation happens. Um, everything else is just evolution, right? <laughs> if, you, if you have a bunch of film students and they're continually working on the project, yeah, there could be great things that come from this, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to track almost as like an evolutionary advancement. Mm-hmm. If you have someone fresh to the idea looking at how to solve the problem, it's ground, it could potentially be groundbreaking. Right, so, th- so that's kind of the philosophy we have for these classes. They are truly designed to be interdisciplinary, open to every student at Ohio University. Um, so they have the College of Communication prefix for that purpose. Right, so we expect media students and journalism students and business students and education students all to come together. Um, they will learn about this technology and what you can do with it through several different paths, but they all start together and then they all finish together. Okay, so the, the, the really the goal is their senior year, they all come back together and they work on some creative problem together in a, in a mixed interdisciplinary group. You know, whether that be a, a significant research problem like visualizing drug discovery or they want to do a startup um, in – I don't know, making, uh, adding uh, smelling technology into the virtual reality space, right? These are, these are the kind of problems that require more than one discipline to solve. Um, and, and the sooner we get students comfortable with that idea, we, we, truly, believe that, um, we truly believe that the ideas that they come up with are going to be are groundbreaking or at least prepare them for careers in the 21st century. I also think it's no accident that this is all coming out of the College of Communication as opposed to an area of, of fine, art, fine art, for instance. Because as communicators, we, we know from professional experience that when you are working with clients and you are working with specific audiences, you are naturally working outside of your, your media area. And so all the conversations that we, we get the most excited about are the conversations that we've had with people in the College of Medicine or in the history department uh, it, because they are bringing the content that we can then 
help create. Good luck too. Yeah. Yeah. The um, other side of it too, and Eric kind of touched on this earlier. You know, <clears throat> when you think about traditional filmmaking or, v, or or VR filmmaking or audio, you know, once you have your first VR experience, the novelty wears off pretty soon. I mean, it is mind blowing. But once you get beyond that, if there is no compelling content, if there is no narrative that engages you or something where you're being trained it's just a novelty and i think that's where having people outside of the immediate technology workflows or the problems you have with with the kind of the communication side you need people to think how is this going to impact or directly influence their area of expertise and that's where i think the hope is in the curriculum you'll have these students coming together and like john shared out of that will emerge all of this not not just great VR experience, but content impacts that specific area that the student is studying or wants to get into. So this technology is clearly cutting edge and will continue to be cutting edge and will continue to, I mean, the the curve is still very steep on the upward side of its development. So if I'm a, if I'm a teacher out in Perry County and, um, you know, I'm teaching a high school history class, but have listened to this podcast, I might be thinking, that sounds awesome and everything, but I'm never going to be able to integrate that into my class because the technology curve is is not going to be something that I can get to. I don't think that's true, though. Mm-mm. It's actually a pretty small bar to have to jump over to be able to get into virtual and augmented reality with, with uh, very easy-to-use, off-the-market technology. Eric, you want to talk about what some of that technology is that people could use to start using this in a class? Sure, absolutely. Um, so on a very basic level, there's a camera called the Ryko camera, and it's a few hundred dollars. It takes both still and um, 360 videos, but 360 stills and 360 videos. Um, through the Ryko app, um, which is free, uh, you can post the content onto their website and then very easily put that into a, a blog, for instance. And so we did some really simple journalism stories that I thought were very effective. Um, so as simple as you could create a, a quick blog and the story that we did was about artists in the region. So there were three different paragraphs. Each paragraph was about a different artist. But then right next to it was an interactive 360 still image in that artist's studio. And so you could go in and play around with it. That is something that probably cost less than $250 all told um, and was done in half a day. Um, so that's something that is is very simple. And then on the video side, uh, there's the Ryko camera, but then there's also a camera by Kodak that will do the stitching for you. Um, I think it's $400 right now, maybe $450. Um, and those can be uploaded to YouTube. Um, and I also think, uh, and it might even be out now, but com- coming out this year, certainly, they're going to be live 360 videos that you can stream on YouTube or Facebook um, again, for a few hundred dollars, but if you wanted to capture the the local play um, or an interesting lecturer um, or uh, just some sort of activity in the classroom, that's something that you could turn on with a flip of the switch and record for posterity and stream um, with very little ramp-up time at all. Mm-hmm. And that's where we are now. I mean, those cameras, like Eric mentioned, are changing by the month, and there are combined audio video cameras that are coming out, live streaming cameras. Um, as well. But just one other note, like you know, I mentioned before, Google is actually has an initiative to get a, a program called Expeditions into the Classroom, where they're shooting 360 experiences that educators can then use through, you know, obviously like cardboard or some other headset they would provide. But I mean, they're going to provide like they have with Docs and Drive, all kinds of low cost, yeah. high tech solutions for anybody, any educator in K through 12 to use. Well, and to clarify yeah. what the cardboard yeah, is. Yeah, I was going to ask. Sorry. Right. So, yeah. yeah. So, Essentially, the cardboard uses your smartphone already, iPhone, Android, whatever. And the cardboard is just an apparatus that you slide your phone into. Um, on, the, on the cheapest end, the cardboards cost maybe a dollar or two. Um, uh, and maybe a little bit more comfortable sets go up to about 40 or $50 range. Um, but basically, your, your hardware then and your distribution system is your phone. You slide that in there, and there's software that splits your phone image into two screens and plays it back into stereoscopic virtual reality, right? So, um, and it uses the the onboard accelerometers within your phone to track kind of which direction you're looking, and that changes the direction of which video is playing or what part of the video is playing. Um, and so, the, the you know the entry the, the barriers to entry right now are very small. Um, 
you know, for for the kind of the low fidelity use your phone as an experience tool. Well, and it's worth pointing out also that you don't even need the phone. I mean, you can – wherever you can watch YouTube, mm-hmm. um, you can do it on, on your laptop, on your desktop. Um, and you can control within a 360 video just using your arrow buttons. Mm-hmm. Um, so stu- p- teachers that are worried about all of their students having to have their smartphones in class um, could also still use this technology but just by using – your typical flat screen. But I think that's what, I mean, to me, that's just what excites me. I mean, I can remember like whatever in fifth grade watching a, you know, a video about the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. Imagine if you can take your class to Force Theater, like let's, ex- let's watch this experience. Like, and, and then, and then people are detectives within this historical context. I mean, it opens all kinds of possibility, opens up all kinds of possibilities for engagement in terms of how you can help your students to discover something from a new perspective. Yeah. We well, just hope it won't be an assassination. Yeah, trainer. yeah. I would. <laughs> well, actually, you know, what, what I was thinking of is, is I in class um, several times have used uh, the movie JFK mm-hmm. um, as an in-class film to talk about argument development and use of evidence and things like that. So, so it it fits some of the subjects that I teach. But thinking about that film from an artistic standpoint, you know, when it was made. He actually tried to do a pretty good job of showing a lot of different angles of Daily Plaza while the uh, assassination took place to show a hypothesized reality of where other shooters could have been other than uh, Lee Harvey Oswald in the book Depository. Think about if you were able to do that using a technology like 360 video that you know, would would allow all that to happen in real time. I mean, and he was trying to do it, you know, what, a decade and a half, two decades ago, um, and pretty good job, you know, right. with the technology they had. But now if he was doing the same film, think about how different that would be in the storytelling yeah, that absolutely. you could do. Yeah. So, hey, um, we're running out of time, but I have a feeling that this is a topic that we will want to come back and explore um, with some specificity uh, as time goes on. But this is really exciting, and I think that um, what I've noticed over the last uh, couple of years as the three of you and, and your colleagues that are working with you um, have have really brought life to this is that um, everything about it has been marrying the student with the technology as it's developing. And I think this is a great example of um, a group of faculty members, not just you, but a lot of other people as well, saying we're going to help students learn that it's not about learning a technology, but it's about learning thinking about technology and having conversations like we've had um, in this hour-long program about where it's going and how we're going to adapt to it. And I think that type of discussion about technology is is extremely important because it's not only teaching the technology skills that they need to have, but it's also teaching the thinking about technology that I think a lot of people maybe would miss as they're going through a program. So thank all three of you for being on Teaching Matters, and I hope that you'll come back and talk about some examples of applications and things that you've learned um, as you've worked with your students. So thanks a lot. Great. Thanks for having us. You can learn more about the Immersive Media Initiative by visiting the Grid Lab uh, webpage. We will have a link for that in the text accompanying this podcast so that you can go straight to the Immersive Media Initiative and learn about some of the activities that they've been doing. Thank you for listening to Teaching Matters produced by WOUB Public Media. You can always listen at woub.org backslash listen. We're also available through several popular podcasting apps, including Google Play, iTunes, and NPR One. And if you're listening to me say that, you probably knew that already. You can contact the staff of the podcast with ideas, questions, or comments by going to our Facebook page. You can just search for Teaching Matters Podcast on Facebook to find that. Our audio engineer today is Adam Rich. I'm Scott Titsworth on behalf of WOUB Public Media. Thank you for listening and have a great day.